I don't want to be a martyr. Nor I. I want to live. That is good. For believing what you do, we confer upon you a rare gift these days. A martyr's death. The cross commands you. The blood of the martyrs commands you. I wrote them down in my diary so that I wouldn't have to remember. We are continuing our jaunt through mid- medieval English history, so... I'm having fun with England simply because there's so much testimony to what happened in England during this time. Thank you, John Fox. So we get to have a little bit more information on that as we go. But again, I've I've said this before, and this is not a perfect one-to-one, but yes, I want you to celebrate the martyrs. Yes, I want you to celebrate the history of the faith and all of that. But at the same time, we're cheating a little bit. We're having a little bit of fun showing the evolution of doctrine and the historical developments in Christianity. And a lot of that is seen in the English Reformation. So we are moving to 16th century England, early 16th century England. Now remember, England is going to still be technically Roman Catholic until 1534 and then fully enshrined in 1558. And no, you don't have to remember those numbers. There will be, there will not be a quiz on this later. But the transition to that is already beginning. And part of the reason the transition is beginning even at the end of the 15th century and into the beginning of the 1500s is because of Henry VIII, I am, I am. The thing that is challenged by Henry when the English Reformation really swings into gear, because again, he wants his marriage annulled. The thing that is challenged is papal supremacy. Well, papal supremacy in England is replaced with the understanding of the divine right of kings. In other words, who decides who your kid is going to be? Well, God does. Well, if you're a monarch, and you've given birth to this child, and that child descends to the throne, who decided that person would be the monarch? And the answer would be God did. And this was a tricky one for papal supremacists to argue against because it took the power out of the clergy's hands and put it back into God's. But really, in a temporal sense, it put the power back into the monarchy's hands. Henry doesn't latch on to that idea just simply because he loves the idea of the sovereignty of God being defended and the power of the papacy being relegated to the to the sovereignty of God. Henry likes the idea because he's already a despot and thinks about himself that way to begin with. And if you do any reading on it, you will see that, you know, Henry utilized the charges of heresy both when he was Catholic and when he was Anglican, as well as charges of sedition and treason when he was Catholic and when he was Anglican, to his political advantage. And by the way, in case you're wondering, the Church of England that, again, officially forms in 1534, codified in 1558, the head of that church is the monarch. So if you're living in 2022, the you know, or 2023, depending on when you listen to this, um... That's Charles right now. That's how the English system is set up. That argument for divine right of kings just simply replaces the papacy. And that is one of the things we'll have fun with as we go through some of this English history because we're going to move from Protestant martyrs to Protestant martyrs, but the Protestant martyrs now are being killed by Catholics. The Protestant martyrs in a few decades will be killed by Protestants. So today's martyr is John Brown. No, not that one. 
not 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 that one from Harper's Ferry, and not that one from 18th, 19th century England. No, no, no not that John Brown. <laughs> this is one you've never heard of. He is, you ready for it? An Englishman. And we're going to leave it right there because I literally don't know anything else about the man. He's an Englishman who unfortunately has an a, a, a chance meeting with a priest. According to history, this is on a boat. They're traveling along, and the priest is bragging because he is a soul-saving priest. And how, pray tell, does he do this? He does this through his singing during the Mass. <coughs> Excuse me. So the people are moved and the souls are saved because of his miraculous singing. Well, apparently, according to the history, John Brown challenges this, and the line of challenge is fascinating to me. And we could talk on this for forever, but think about the worldview implications in your understanding of the work of salvation and why this is important. Because we don't argue like this anymore because we don't think in these terms. But the challenge from John Brown to this haughty priest is, when the Mass begins, where is the soul? And the priest answers, I have no idea because a soul is not a tangible thing and it's not something you can grab or touch. During the Mass, while you sing, where is the soul, John Brown asks, and the priest again has no answer because you don't know. It's not a tangible thing. And Brown then says, amazing. You don't know where the soul is when the service starts. You don't know where the soul is when the service is going on. Where is the soul after it has been saved? And the priest has no more answer because he does not know. So you claim to save souls. This is John Brown's uh, challenge. You claim to save souls, but you do not know where they are before you save them. You do not know where they are while you are saving them, and you do not know where they are and where they have been stored after you have saved them. To which the priest yells at him and calls him a heretic, and John Brown leaves. Well, don't annoy the priest, especially if they can identify you in a lineup later, because that's what happens. The uh, the English Gestapo, I don't even know what they would be called at that point, arrest John Brown at home during dinner. He is hauled away in chains before his wife and daughters and taken to prison, where he is imprisoned for some 40 days where nobody knows where he is. So throw him in a hole, bring him out, and what's the first thing you do with the heretic? No, 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 you don't burn the heretic immediately. You must be shown to be merciful and gracious. You offer the heretic a chance to recant. And part of the reason this is also done is there's some testimony that Brown, in the, at some point previously, had been arrested and had recanted. So this is the quote. I love trial quotes, and this is one of the fun things about the English history also is they chronicle everything. So stuff gets written down and passed around. So when offered the chance to recant— Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and it is by this sacrifice we are saved, not by the redemp- not by the repetitions of the priests. That's blasphemy if you are still Roman Catholic, and most of England still is. But that's what the argument at the heart of that conversation with the priest was all about. Who saves souls? It is not the priest. It is not the song. It is not the repetition or the chanting of the prayers. It is God and God alone because only he is omnipotent and only he is omnipresent and only he is omniscient and only he is capable of changing the hearts, minds, and souls of men. So they're not done with him yet. Apparently the order is given and John Brown's 
shoes and socks, technically stockings, are removed, and they place his bare feet while he is still in chains onto a pan of burning coals. I'm going to go with ow. And according to the testimony, his feet are burned until the bone is exposed. (laughs) Upon which he is offered a chance to recant again. And his response is, if I deny my Lord upon earth, he will deny me before his father in heaven. It's a really long-winded way of saying no. Apparently, John Brown is then taken and stuck in the stocks again on his feet and the stocks were fitted tightly so that he could not turn his head while he was in them it is at that point that his family is able to locate him because you know public trial burning and you know sticking him in the stocks at least now everyone knows where he is and they have a chance to you know weep with him and mourn with him and several days later he is taken to the stake upon which he is burned leaving behind his wife and his children now happy story right no no it's not one Pray for the strength of John Brown that even though your mangled and tortured body, it may be weak, that your spirit be strong. And again, why was his spirit strong? Because his spirit had been changed by God. This was the argument of the Reformation. This was kind of the point of the Christian life in the Middle Ages and before that and now. Who did what? Was it the function of the church? Was it the function of the mass or was it the saving work of god it wasn't just about popes and authority and divine right of kings it was an understanding of the work of christ and what what it accomplished and how you lived in light of that and you're seeing here at the beginning of the reformation the testimony this is this is 1517 the same year as martin luther and his 95 theses that in 1517 you are seeing that it's not just a german idea and it's not just a European idea or a continental idea. It is a church idea that the testimony that we have shown down through the ages that people are following Christ is still, is still holding steady. And that while many of them have been martyred, the truth cannot be killed. Rejoice in that, Christian, and know that it is God who strengthens you. Until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good.